Well, may I speak in the words of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's lovely to be back with you. Nicola and I were away last week on a, on a break. We got to the Causeway Coast in Northern Ireland and went to uh, the marvellous uh, vineyard church there, led by Alan and Catherine Scott. Catherine's the one who uh, wrote the song Hungry, if you remember that from the, the 90s. Um, and uh, just a lovely time to, to be away and refreshed and noted how beautiful the countryside is there. I had no idea. Uh, and how much easier it is to worship God in countryside or on beautiful days like today. Um, so if you're uh, going for God here in the city and you're uh, faced with pollution and traffic and commutes and all that sort of thing, uh, congratulations, because how much more blessed are those who believe and have not seen, <laughs> as Jesus said. Uh, it's lovely to be back, though, and great to be uh, with the church family this morning. I want to uh, open up the scriptures in a different way today, and I want to imagine the story from the eyes of a character that we hear about in John chapter 4, the man uh, that the uh, woman at the well was not apparently married to. And so I'm going to be trying to imagine our story uh, from his perspective today. It's a funny passage, isn't it? Uh, Feels slightly topical, the fire falling down from heaven, destroying parts of the Middle East. Um, Let's let's try and imagine it from uh, his perspective. So here goes. My wife just came to tell me the news the other day. Yeah, my wife. Yes, you heard me. Yes, I know. You never thought I was going to marry her, did you? After she'd been married five times before. But um, she met this guy, Jesus, a year or so ago. Uh, It just gave me the confidence that I needed to say, yeah, I do, to this wonderful but broken lady. Anyway, she came and saw me and said that Jesus had been through her cousin's village and they'd missed him. They turned him away. I couldn't believe it. This extraordinary, wonderful man, they, they missed him. Going through the village, they didn't stop. I thought, what a shame going to go and find out what's going on. He's gone back through. I remember when I saw Jesus. My beloved brought him back to the village. She'd already been in once and she'd said, he's, he's told me everything about me. He knows everything about me. Everything I ever was, he knows. And he still loves me. And she had quite a history, I can tell you. Everyone gathered around because she's that sort of woman, you know, when she speaks, everyone gathers in. There might be some interesting information coming your way. They all, they all got close and listened and, and then she went and got Jesus and brought him back to the village. And we looked at him and there's something about his, his eyes. You know, when you looked in his eyes, it's like you were looking into the whole of eternity. <laughs> and yet he sort of knew you. And you were sort of drawn to him, but sort of repelled as well, a bit like a magnet colliding, because you you sort of knew you shouldn't be able to look him in the eye. Something extraordinary about that day that we met Jesus. You see, normally when a Jew comes through the village, we do exactly what our cousins have just done. 600 years, the Jews have been looking down on us. They call us the half-breeds. They tell us that we're not allowed to worship in Jerusalem. So when they're bombing their way down to Jerusalem on their donkeys, 
we're like, <laughs> keep away from us. Except for this man, Jesus. And apparently he's gone back through. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it. He's got down to Jerusalem, they say. And when he got there, they went out to meet him. And the children were singing songs of praise to him. And the adults were chopping leaves off the tree and putting it down on the ground in front of him. And they were saying that he could be the son of David. He could be the Messiah. And they're going in like an amazing royal procession. I don't know what will happen if Caesar hears about this. This is just the way that a conquering general will go back into Rome. But on a donkey, not a horse. It's a bit weird. But I've just got to get down there. I've just got to see him again. He's changed my life. I caught up with some of the people that he had met along the way on his journey as I'm rushing down to try and catch up with him. There was one guy, and I wrote it down, he said that um, he went to Jesus and said, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus just looked at him and said, look, and I can't quite get my head around this one because if you gone to the Samaria Independence Party and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. They'll just sign you up straight away. But he, he said, look, I, foxes have got holes to live in, but the Messiah's got nowhere to lay his head. And then he told another person, follow me, follow me, come and join in. Uh, but the guy said, well, I've got quite a lot of affairs to sort out. I need to sort out inheritances and wills and uh, executor and estate and have a funeral and I'll probably be ready in a, a few months time and Jesus was like you're going to miss it if you don't come now it's all going to be over uh, and another one says well I'll follow you but let me just go back and do a tour of the family and say goodbye to them first and Jesus was like no unless you put me first you're never going to get in on the action it sure makes it hard to follow him, doesn't it? And he's heading down to Jerusalem. And I'm told that he's utterly resolute in the way that he's going. There's no sort of flinching left or right. Some of the Jews with him wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy our cousin's village. We just told him to shut up and sit down. He's heading to Jerusalem. One of the people I met said that he'd been talking in an even more strange way. He's already made this huge threat to the Roman Empire, going in on a donkey in this triumphant procession. But he's also said that if you destroy the temple, he'll build it again in three days. I mean, the Jews love the temple. They've been building it for the last 40 years. He says, if you destroy this temple, 
He was pointing at himself. (laughs) I'll build it again in three days. I just can't get my head around what's going to happen next. My wife's um, she's pregnant now. <laughs> it's great news, but I'm I'm just going to head down to Jerusalem because I want to find out a whole lot more. I can't work out if I've got a good feeling or a bad feeling about this. But I've got to see him again. Everything changed the day he came to town. Everything. I want to look him in his eyes again. You know what it's like when you haven't seen someone for a while and it sort of fades from your memory? It's not been like that with him. It's just etched on my brain. And I really want to see him again. I'd leave anything to be called his disciple. And I know they were not going to want me in Jerusalem. I know I'm an outsider there. But I'm going anyway. Have you ever tried that when you're doing your Bible readings in the morning or evening or whenever you open up the scriptures? Imagine yourself as one of the characters in the story. It might be a villain, might be a, a goody, might be Jesus, might be God. And just try and sort of dream what, what's going on. Let your scriptural imagination run riot for a while. This is the big week in the year. This is, this is it. This is the week where we reorientate ourselves and go, what on earth is all this about? I don't know if you've seen the BBC News today. Uh, there's some random survey of 2,030 people in, in the survey. They're talking about how many people believe in the resurrection, how many don't believe in the resurrection, all these different numbers. I don't think the resurrection is necessarily something you sort of believe in. It's something you inhabit, you live. It catches you and it absorbs you. It's not an intellectual position where you go via a deduction of different logics and the empty tomb, this is it. Although you can get there in that way. And if you were here last Easter Sunday, you'll have heard Judge John Dennis do a a wonderful sort of uh, dialogue where he was explaining the evidence for the resurrection. I think the resurrection of Jesus is something that inhabits you. It's that hymn goes, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. When we talk about Jesus, we don't talk about a historic figure. We talk about someone who's close to us, who's imminent to us, who's, who's with us. Where would you put yourself in the Garden of Gethsemane? Where would you put yourself at the Passover meal, which we're going to enact here tonight with a, a Jewish believers going to lead us through Passover. Do do come back if you can at six o'clock. It's going to be a wonderful evening as he opens up what the Passover would have felt like. Where would you have sat? Would you have been sitting next to Jesus? Would you have been the servant bringing food in? 
Would you have been leaning on him? Do you feel you were the one who might be sent out betraying him? When he comes to wash your feet, would you let him? And so on Thursday evening, we're going to have the foot washing service where we sit in a sort of a, a concave circle and uh, allow our feet to be washed by someone else as a memorial of what's happened. Or on Friday when we sit in here for, for three hours. You, know, you can come and go for half an hour or 20 minutes or come in the evening if you're at work. But we sit here for three hours because it's the length of time that Jesus hung on the cross. And I'm going to be doing some reflections on the cross and also the, the trip that I took to the Auschwitz concentration camp and to the reconciliation centre in Northern Ireland at Corrymeela. And think about what the cross means for all these things. And then on Easter Sunday morning, there's an empty tomb. Are you running to the tomb or are you hiding away scared in an upper room? Have you given up on your faith? Or are you hoping that it will rekindle? This is the week in the church's year. Wherever you are, uh, over here or elsewhere, and pray that God gives you some special encounters with himself through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. Pray that God takes you on adventures and fills you with excitement of who he is, opens Jesus to you in new ways, provides for your deep needs and longings, and makes you thirsty and hungry for him in the ways that only he can fill and satisfy. I pray that, like the imagined character who perhaps married that woman at the well, that your heart will burn and long for a saviour. And this week, that you'll meet him in all sorts of ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. And just one more thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's, we're still on record, but it may be that those challenges Jesus gave to the person who said, follow me, might really resonate with someone here or someone listening again. Um, I just wonder if there are people where God's saying, actually, it's time for you to give up some of the things you've been doing. And follow me. There was a lady this morning who said that since hearing the talk on Ash Wednesday, she's given up three hours of telly a day and has read 34 books of the Bible <laughs> in the three hours of TV that she'd been watching uh, week by week. Um, there may be that there are others who are called into different forms of ministry or work or other things. And this would be a great week to think about that sort of thing and say, God, what are you calling me to in my workplace, in my life place, in church, in other contexts? Help me to follow you. Amen.